Amen. Thank you. Well, I hope and pray it is well with your soul. I hope that you know the Lord and that you've met him and even encountered him in this place this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Genesis. And this morning I'm going to read to you from chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, though we're going to reference some passages in chapter 4 and also in chapter 6, and then also looking on to Matthew chapter 24, verses 38 and 39. Here last few Sundays, actually since the beginning of the year, I've been preaching to you on the goodness of God, God's goodness. I want to begin another short little series on the grace of God. We talked about the goodness of God, but also to follow that will be the grace of God, God's grace. It's an amazing thing. We sang about it just a little bit ago. We can't really fathom uh, the grace of God. Yet I want us to take a, a few Sundays and look together at what the Bible has to say about grace. You'd be amazed at some of the things that God's Word tells us about the grace of God. I want to start with a man who first was said to experience the grace of God. Now we know God's grace was actually demonstrated to Adam and Eve when he clothed them. And uh, also we saw grace extended to Cain even though he didn't deserve it in terms of saving his life. But the word grace isn't used there. And I'm doing something a little different this morning. I'm reading out of the New King James Version because uh, the other translations does not use the word I, <clears throat> I'm going to choose this morning. So it's the same word. It's a, it's a faithful rendition, even in the other translations, but they usually use the word favor. Uh, but the King James has the word that I want us to look at together at the end of our uh, text this morning. But we're living in days ripe for judgment. I don't say that because judgment is a popular term or a to popular topic. In fact, there's a lot of churches and a lot of preachers will stay away from anything that has to do with that because that's just not a popular thing to talk about. But the reality is we are ripe for judgment. There's many reasons I could come up with. I could just give you a whole list this morning of reasons why the Lord could and be justified in doing so, raining judgment down upon our nation. As we look at this passage of Scripture, though, we look at the what, was, what is true today was true in the days of Noah. And uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's an interesting thing to look at how it parallels our world today, but to realize how important and how very desperately needed today is the grace of God. Because while we deserve judgment, we need grace. Look with me, if you will, in this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, we read these words from God's Word. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, <clears throat> for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. For you are the God who made all things, created all things. It is you, O Lord, who sustains all things by your word. And yet, Heavenly Father, how we marvel at the fact that you created us in your image and loved us so that when the time came for judgment, yet you found a man and a family to whom you might bestow grace. And, and Lord, for that reason, we're here today. But Lord, throughout history, you have demonstrated and shown your grace in many different ways, none greater than what you did through your son Jesus on the cross. And Lord, your word tells us that by grace we are saved through faith, not that not of ourselves, a gift that comes from you, a gift provided through Jesus and his sacrifice, his willingness to suffer and die on a cross. And yet, Lord, he who was buried came forth victoriously from the tomb. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And this morning, Lord, I pray that this will be an opportunity for us not only just to see the the similarities between the days of Noah and today, but Lord, to also know that these are the days in which you will dispense grace to those who will both believe and receive your son Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that today this will be a day of grace, that today this will be a time when people can find the throne of grace and come before it boldly. And Lord, that there'll be those today, if there's anyone here in this place today who needs to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that today before the day's end, And the day of grace has ended, that today they might find salvation. Lord, do your great work in this place. Speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and insight and understanding so that, Lord, we might properly receive and implement your word into our life. May you glorify yourself in all that's said and done. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture today, we see that we... We're witnessing the fall of the first generation of people upon the planet. All the way up till the day of Noah, there were people who were being uh, born. There was, the earth was being filled. It was being multiplied many times over with people. And yet at the same time, what we read is that the earth became more and more corrupt, more evil, more wicked than probably we could possibly imagine. But as we look at this, I want us to see several things in this passage of Scripture. And also when we look over into Matthew chapter 24. So let's look together first off in verse 3. It's an interesting statement here that God makes. He says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he's indeed flesh yet his days shall be 120 years. Now the reason that God says this is because there was spiritual decline going on on the earth. See there for a time there was the line of Seth and there was the line of Cain. And these lines were going out into the earth. And the line of Seth, for the, for the early part, were, were godly people. This was where the godly seed kept progressing generation after generation. In fact, in the Bible we read that Enoch, who was the one who was walking with God and then was not for God, took him, was the seventh from Adam in the line of Seth. And so as, uh, as the earth began to progress, as it began to multiply, godlessness uh, uh, or godliness rather godliness of uh, climax in the in the life of Enoch here's a man who uh, was so in love with God seventh from Adam and yet still loved God so much that God literally would walk with him and took him rather than let him die and that's an amazing thing to see it witness in that generation at the same time in the line of Cain there was the seventh from Adam who was that well, it was Lamech 
And what do we find in Lamech? He's the one who, who uh, brought godlessness and lawlessness to a climax. And so we, we can see seventh from Adam the difference between the line of Seth and the line of Cain and realize that here was the climax of godliness, here's the climax of godlessness, and at the same time realize that the whole earth, even from the line of Seth, was becoming corrupt to the point that at the time that God finally said it's time to destroy the earth, there was only one man and one family that God could say, I can dispense grace here. And Noah found grace. Folks, that ought to be underlined in our Bible, that ought to be encapsulated into our minds, that the earth had become so corrupt that yet one family remained true and, and, and able for God to dispense His grace so that we have those words in the Bible, and Noah found grace. Not earned it, not achieved it, but found grace from God. Folks, we're living in a time where it is becoming less and less of the people who are walking with God, who, where godliness is the trait of the marriage, of the home, of the family, and unfortunately, even in the church. And so we wonder how much grace can yet still be dispensed in the days in which we live because we're living in the days very much like the days of Noah. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus, of course, is speaking. He's, an, an, he's answering the question that the disciples had about the end of time and when will all these things take place that they had heard about and, and what would be the sign of his coming and, and of the end of the age. And, and so Jesus is speaking in what is called the Olivet Discourse. But in this discourse, Jesus says these words, and I want you to hear that what he said. In Matthew 24, verse 38, says, For as in the days before the flood... Well, let me back up to verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, what was beginning to happen in the earth what is also happening today is a general decline in knowing God. A spiritual decline unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime. I know there has always been preachers who got up and talked about the godlessness of their age. And, and you can go back and read sermons from people that wrote uh, generations ago and they were speaking against the evils of their day and the godlessness of their day. But folks, on an unprecedented level are we witnessing godlessness. In fact, we're living in the days when more Christians are being killed and persecuted than in the whole history of Christianity combined. We're living in those days. We're living in the days when uh, moral depravity has reached a point that we would never have dreamed in our own country that we would see the moral depravity so openly practiced and done as we see in our days. The other day, the, the stats came out that we've reached now the 61 million mark in terms of babies who have been killed by abortions in the United States alone. That's not counting the world. And we look at the violence in our cities. We look at all the things that are taking place across our nation. And we realize that there's a great spiritual decline that has taken place, just as it was in the days of Noah. It was promised by the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles and want to look real quickly in Timothy, uh, you can see in 2 Timothy what uh, 
uh, Paul had to say there when he said this, and it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 5. So chapter, 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 5, Paul says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. We could read on and we find this also in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, where Peter, again, is talking about the last days when scoffers would come, questioning the return of Jesus, questioning whether or not God was ever going to keep his promises. And it's in that passage of Scripture where that wonderful phrase is, in the midst of all that, but God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, so we see that in the midst of spiritual decline, the one answer that is there today as it was in the days of Noah, the only answer to spiritual decline is the grace of God as you and I turn in faith and both believe and receive Jesus, and as we turn in faith to his word and to his will and to live out what God wants us to live out in our life and to be that godly seed that can continue in another generation of our families, the answer to spiritual decline is God's grace. But let's look on. We also see the social dilemma that was taking place in Noah's day in chapter 6, verse 1. Talked about how they began to multiply on the face of the earth. And, and so there was this marked increase in population, very much like we're living in today. There's a, there's a huge marked increase in the population of the earth today. And, of course, everybody's speaking about uh, different things that, uh, that concern them about population. But the reality is not so much the population. It's what's taking place with the increase of population. And that was what we see in verse 11 when it says, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So what you see here is not just spiritual decline, but following spiritual decline is the social dilemma of the rise of violence and the rise of all the issues that come because more and more people have departed from the faith of God, departed from that which God intended for people to do and, and the people that God intended them to be. But what is the answer to the social dilemma that we face today, because we're facing social dilemmas today. We can't even see our nation as a, as a nation uh, be able to walk together as a nation anymore. We are greatly divided, and we're going to always be divided because of the difference between those who want to adhere to what the Bible says, adhere to what God says we ought to be in, in terms of the way we ought to live our lives, and those who want to go in the way of Cain. We're seeing that as well. But what is the answer to that? Well, the answer is still what it was with spiritual decline. The answer is God's grace. But let's look on. We also see that one of the problems of this time and a mark, uh, uh, that marks this period was uh, shameless depravity. Look over in chapter 4 of Genesis in verse 19. Just flip over a page or two. It says, Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada. The name of the second was Zilhah. This was a marked change because for the first time we see polygamy come into being, but we also begin to see other things come into the, uh, on the earth as well, all kind of technologies, all kind of things that uh, were taught. Now, uh, we find that uh, Cain taught men to live in cities, that Jabel taught people agricultural pursuits, that Jubal 
that helped refine civilization in terms of bringing people together. Tubal Cain ushered in an industrial type revolution. Uh, the Canaanite women uh, began to leap to prominence. The descendants of Cain just lived for this world, while the descendants of Seth, at least at that time, were living for the world to come. But there was a marked difference between these two groups of people. There was a marked difference in terms of the depravity that began to grip the earth. And so we read in verse 5 that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and the intents of the heart was just evil continually. Folks, we're living again in those days. People keep coming up with new ways to be depraved. New ways to be immoral. New ways to offend God if there was a God in their mind. Well, folks... The reality is there is a God. He's going to judge. But we look in the days in which we live, we see shameless depravity. What is the answer to shameless depravity? Again, it's God's grace. Also in chapter 4, verses 20 and 22, as I mentioned, we see the development of, of technology, of science. In fact, folks, most people don't understand. When they read the Bible, they think before the flood, everybody lived in caves and were working with stones. Well, I got news for you. You need to look at megalithic sites for just a, an example. So we have all these places around the world, and they're all the same style, same, tech, uh, same architectural design. The, the stones are so large that people can't figure out how in the world they were moved and how they were put into place and how they were fit so perfectly that you can't even put a piece of paper uh, between the stones. No mortar used, and those stones are still together today in ruins, but still together most of these civilizations when they came after the flood they found these places that were ruins from the previous civilizations before the flood they found these massive stones and in many cases just simply built on those massive stones you can see this in in South America with the Incas or the uh, Mayans or Aztecs and all of their buildings all sitting on a lot of them are sitting on top of these megalithic uh, prehistoric stone structures and you can go look at all these other structures throughout the world that are very similar and they go, whether you go to Europe or whether you go to Russia or whether you go to Asia, whether you go to the various islands around the earth, what you're going to find a lot of times are these megalithic structures. They're all the same. I'll tell you what they were. These people had technology you and I still don't have because they developed all of this. It was a part of their life before the flood. The flood just wiped away stuff that we can't even imagine what was in existence. But you see... All that scientific development, all of that ability of engineering and being able to move stones, you and I still can't move today, even with the cranes and the equipment we have. We don't understand how they position things the way they did. We don't understand all these things. We look at them, you know, the, the common modern thing is, well, aliens did it. No, it was what the Bible said, these men of renown, these people of unusual strength and ability, but also of technological abilities and and what I'm telling you is that all that did not save the earth. It could not save the earth. Why? Because when God's judgment came, scientific development was nothing compared to the judgment of God. Folks, we're living in a day of scientific development like we've never seen. It's an explosion in our, in our uh, generation to see what's happening. But folks, scientific development is not the answer to our problem. It is the grace of God. Because that scientific development was washed away in the future judgment of fire upon the earth will do the same no matter what our new technologies no matter what our medicines no matter what kind of life we are able to create for ourselves it takes us farther from a holy god and only grace can save us 
But you say, well, I don't understand how people can be the way they are, Brother Wally. I just don't understand this. Well, let's look in chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then you begin to see what God told him to do about building a, a boat. Now, if you've not been to the northernmost part of Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati, Ohio, and you've not been to the Ark Encounter, I'm going to tell you something. You load your family up, you get your relatives, and you go to the Ark. Because your mind will never conceive what the Bible says the Ark was until you see it. And it was a great hoopla about uh, the atheists and so forth not wanting that ark to be built. Why? Because they know once you see the magnitude of this boat that God told Noah to build and that it would actually en encompass all the animals that were in existence with room for food and all other things, you see that boat, you realize that was a God thing. Not man. <laughs> but Noah was told by God to build such a boat in, in lieu of the fact that judgment was going to come and and so Noah built the ark. And, of course, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when I come again. The same things will be going on. People will be marrying, giving in marriage. So all the same problems will be just as I've described to you. There will be the spiritual decline, which the Apostle Paul and Peter and others also warned us that there would be the apostasy, the falling away. There would be the social dilemmas of that day and, that, and the day in which we live. We would see... Uh, the shameless depravity once again return upon the earth as it was in the days of Noah. And we, we are seeing and witnessing an incredible amount of scientific development. In fact, Paul said that in the last days, knowledge would increase. In other words, there'd be an explosion of knowledge. But yet, that was not going to be the answer. Because they would be departing from God. But worse is the delusion. Look with me, if you will, and... 2 Thessalonians, I know I'm taking you on a little trip through the Bible this morning, but I want to connect some dots for you today. And So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 9, we read these words. The coming of the lawless one, that would, by the way, would be the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. In other words, they've rejected the grace of God, and rather they've received the delusion from demonic forces. And so look at verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness same thing happened in the days of Noah is happening today that people once they turn their back on the grace of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of God and the truth then they are given the false teachings of demons and they are deluded and folks I've never seen in my lifetime people under such delusion as there is today but know that the reason for that delusion is first their rejection of the Lord secondly because of the demonic forces that bring that delusion notice that Satan gives the Antichrist the ability to perform 
miraculous signs and wonders. We find this in other passages in the Bible as well. These, these are going to be miracle workers, and people are going to look at miracles. You know, people today still look at miracles, and they say, oh, that must be of God because that's a miracle. No, that may not be of God. That's why miracles should not be the basis of our faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by miracles. If it did, the Israelites would have been the strongest people of faith you ever saw. They saw miracle after miracle, and they still rebelled against God. Or the disciples who walked with Jesus for three years and saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet over and over, Jesus had to keep saying to them, Oh, ye of little faith. You can't have enough miracles in your life to give you faith. It's on the Word of God. And you see, we're living in that time of strong delusion. Delusion about God's Word, a delusion about God. You know, we just recently saw that movie years, a few years back about God is not dead. Why? Because people are believing the delusion that God is dead. He's not dead. He can't die and He never will. Moreover, the Word of God is true. we got people who are deluded about the teaching of Word of God and, the, and what the Word of God is. What is the answer to delusion? Well, the Bible tells us the answer is grace. Believing in Jesus and receiving that grace that comes at the point of salvation. That's the answer. Well, let's look on very quickly. In the day of Noah, there was some devotion to the Lord. There was that godly seed that continued up till the flood. Noah and his family, of course, passed through the flood. God has always kept a remnant to himself. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot that's said about the remnant of Israel. Just the fact that so many people would be deluded and so many people would be uh, depraved and so many people would be idolatrous and immoral and walk away from God, among God's people. Yet God always kept that remnant. When Elijah said to God, I'm the only one that's left, everybody else departed, God said, no, I've got plenty of others. In fact, you're going to go hook up with them. You're going to encourage them and they're going to encourage you. But right now, you just know, I've got people reserved unto me that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And folks, there are people today who have not followed the way of Cain. But we need to understand that as we become fewer and fewer, we need to not only believe and, and trust in the Lord, but we need to win as many people as we can, particularly our own families, to the Lord. Because there are those who will turn to the Lord if we'll just share Jesus with them. And we see that all the time. I was told by Patrick Tilly that 10 people were saved on this last trip. Well, not as many as last year. But hey, 10 people got to know Jesus. And I'm excited anytime one person comes to know the Lord. We're still living in days where people can be saved. But that time will come to an end. But right now the answer is God's grace. Of course, the main thing, and I'll close with this, Pete, uh, Jesus said it, and, and this was true of the days of Noah. When all was said and done, when the boat was built, then, of course, the floods came, just as God said they would. And Jesus said, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Noah, they just didn't realize until destruction suddenly came upon them. And, folks, that is the key. When destruction comes, it will not be gradual. It will be instant. And the door of grace will be slammed shut. Noah was put into the ark, and the Bible says God shut the door. Noah didn't close the door of that ark. 
If Noah could have closed the door of the ark when people started beating on it, saying, please let us in, please let us in, I believe Noah would have opened it. I don't think he could have, I don't, I don't know that he could have stood what that was going to happen when people began to beat on that boat. But folks, God shut the door and there was no opening it. And God's going to shut the door yet again. And when he does, the day of grace is gone. The throne of grace that you and I can approach boldly will become the great white throne judgment of God. Now, you may be here today, and if I'm making you a little nervous, a little scared, and you're not saved, I intend to make you a little nervous, and I intend to make you a little scared. In fact, I wish you were greatly nervous and greatly afraid. When I was in the Army, I had an opportunity to teach Bible studies in my room in the barracks, and and I remember a young guy, he went home to be with the Lord several years ago, and that's another whole story, but his name was Sam Barker, and Samuel was sitting in my room, and, and he was sitting on a bunk bed. He was actually sitting on my bed, and, and uh, I'm doing a Bible study, and I'm talking about things that are going to happen, book of Revelation, and I look over him, and have you ever seen Don Knotts shake in a movie? I don't know how any man can make himself shake like Don Knotts could, but Don Knotts could just make himself shake. And he was over there just a shaking. I said, are you okay? He said, no, I'm not okay. I've got to be saved. I'm lost. He was scared to death these things were going to happen. Well, they are going to happen. But several years ago, he and his wife got in touch with me through Facebook. and We ate over here at the Cracker Barrel. He wanted his wife to meet the man who led him to Jesus. And then not long after that, he went home to be with Jesus. Actually, I'll tell this real quickly. I was on my way to the convention, state convention in Montgomery, and, and I got a text from his wife, and they lived down in Pensacola, but for some reason they'd been up here visiting, and he was actually going to come to this church and worship with us. And uh, he, caught, he texted me and said he couldn't because he was sick. And next thing I know, uh, as I'm driving, I'm just, just about a mile from the Prattville exit. I get a text from his wife that says, Samuel's in the hospital, the Baptist hospital in Prattville, and it looks bad. And here I'm coming on the exit. So what do I do? I just exit off at Prattville, come right to the hospital. Now, remember, she's just texting me thinking I'm in Hartsville, Alabama. And within a matter of five minutes, I'm walking into the waiting room where she is. She said, I just can't believe, can't believe my eyes. It's like I just appeared. <laughs> I said, no, the Lord timed it. Just perfect. So I could be there. I'm telling you that to say this. Right now is the day of grace. And if you're here today without Jesus, you ought to be shaking. Because the Lord could come just like that any moment. Would you be ready? You go out of here and get in a car. There are a lot of people this happens to all the time. And they don't make it home. I'm telling you today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of grace. The answer to everything that was happening in the days of Noah and the answer to everything that's happening today is God's grace that will be dispensed through Jesus Christ. Would you trust him today? Would you believe in him? And if you're a Christian, would you understand that we're living in the days that the Lord said we need to work while it's day because darkness comes, night comes when no man can work. That's basically saying when the door's shut and the day of grace is gone. 
my prayer is that you and I as Christians will be doing all we can, as long as we can, to be faithful witnesses of Jesus. Living for him and sharing him with all who listen. But today, if you're here without Jesus, I plead with you, don't go out this building until you have received the grace of God. For rejecting that puts you almost immediately under not, not just the opportunity to be deluded and lose the opportunity of being saved, but it keeps you under the judgment of God. My prayer today is every person that needs to be saved here today will be saved. The answer is still the same. God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we are living in the days just like in the days of Noah. When, Lord, we're going about our lives and going about our business, and yet, Lord, all around us, we see what is taking place in the world. We see what is taking place in our nation. We see what is taking place in our state and in our communities as, Lord, people walk farther and farther from you and away from your word and away from those things that, Lord, uh, they were taught and that they heard. And, and, Lord, many have yet to hear the good news of Jesus because there are those who are just unwilling to share what needs to be shared about Jesus. Lord, I'm praying today that this will be a wake-up call for us by the work of your Holy Spirit to know that, Lord, the only answer for what is taking place in our life, in the life of our families, in the life of the church, what, in the life of the community, in the life of this great state, and also, Lord, of our great nation. And what is the answer to the world is your grace. Lord, we deserve judgment, but we need your grace. We need your mercy. And Lord, may there be those who will receive that today by turning from their sin and turning to a Savior who will not only forgive them of their sin, but make them a new person, a new creation. Oh Lord, would you do your work through the Holy Spirit to bring conviction that there might be those even today who will say yes to the Savior who loves them and who will dispense that grace abundantly. Lord, do your great work in this place. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going